This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Coming up on today's future award-winning Talk Buffalo podcast, I'm going to have co-host of the Cover One Buffalo podcast, my good buddy Greg Thompson. He's going to join me. Plenty of stuff to talk about. Buffalo Bills, a look around the NFL as the Bills enjoyed a bye week, a bye week that went very well for them without even having to play a game. So we'll discuss that plenty more. I'm also going to tell you guys a story about, without question, the most exciting on the edge of your seat football game that I have ever personally been to in my entire life. I'll have all that stuff for you. Plenty more coming up in just a minute. Before that, though, I want to let you know that today's show is being presented by our friends at 26 Shirts. So at 26 Shirts, a different Buffalo-themed design is sold for every two weeks, and then that shirt is a wrap. They do so many good things, but here's the best part, folks. For every single shirt that 26 Shirts sells, they make a donation to that specific worthy campaign to a charity each and every single time. It was founded about seven or so years ago, and I'll tell you what, their designs have managed to raise and donate Close to $1 million. They're closing in on a million bucks, folks. It's just nuts. Del Reed, that crew, they do such an amazing job. They enrich the lives of so many people. It's awesome to see. And by the way, these are really outstanding looking design shirts, man. They're cool, comfortable, sported wear. They look great. I got a handful of them myself. Most of you probably do as well. Head on over to 26 Shirts and see what cause needs you this week. And on that note, let's get this podcast going. Let's do it. See, you know, when I walk out here, you are looking at what we have come to know as championship material. All right, what's going on, everybody? How you doing? Welcome to episode 272, future award-winning Talk Buffalo podcast presented today by our friends at 26 Shirts. Happy Thanksgiving week to everybody. Coming up on the podcast today, I'm going to have Greg Thompson, co-host of Cover One Buffalo Podcast. We'll talk some bills, bye week stuff, a whole bunch of uh, good content coming up with Greg. A couple of programming notes as well over the next few episodes. On Friday's show, I'm scheduled to have, and I'm excited about this one, UB star running back, Jared Patterson. Your boy's just been smashing the UB Bulls record book, man. Probably the best UB player, I think, anyway, in my opinion, to come out uh, since Khalil Mack. So anyway, he's tearing it up. Looking forward to that conversation on Friday. Next week, next Friday, I also got a former Buffalo Bills first-round draft pick from the 1990s. Going to kind of tease us a little bit here. Had a great career with the Bills. Really does interviews, at least in Buffalo anyway. I never hear him on any radio or podcast stuff. So, like I said, I'll keep you guessing on that a little bit. But that'll be a fun one. And before I get with Greg on today's show, I just want to take a couple of minutes. I got to tell you guys right here at the top about 
this game this past weekend. Uh, last Friday night, I sat in the stands in the bleachers in Lakeland, Florida, and I watched my son play in what turned out to be his last high school football game ever. And I'm not going to dwell on all that too much today, but I, I got to take a couple minutes here. And I just, I want to tell you about the actual game itself because honest to God, and I'm not lying. I'm not just saying it because the game involved someone from my family. I, I truly mean it. This was to me the most edge of your seat, thrilling football game, high school or any level, frankly, that. I've ever seen in my life, in person at least, anyway, literally ever. And first I got to tell you a little bit about Lake Gibson. That's the team that they played. This team came into the game, top seed in the region, number eight in the entire state of Florida. And when I say number eight in the state of Florida, I'm not talking about like number eight in that region, just like all different states, I'm sure, that are you know broken down by class. Like I know in Western New York, there's... Section six, section five, this and that. Um, I'm talking about the entire state of Florida. Like every team that has a football team in the state of Florida, they were ranked number eight coming in. And because of COVID this year, they had, uh, it's a lot different. The playoff format was different because some teams started earlier than others. Some teams got to play more games than others. So essentially what they did with the Florida high school football playoffs this year is in a typical year, you have your districts and standings are based on not even so much wins or losses, but they have an RPI, which basically rewards teams who are playing a tough schedule and kind of penalizes them for padding the record against cupcakes. Like the district winner gets an automatic berth in the playoffs, and then there's wild cards based on an RPI, and only a small percentage generally make the playoffs. But this year, because again, COVID, every team in the entire state got to make the playoffs. But instead of it being based on record or RPI points, it was quite literally a blind draw. If anyone's ever played like in a bar dart tournament or a pole tournament, something like that, and you have a blind draw for the bracket, that's exactly what this was. Long story short, and this really isn't a complaint because I'm just very grateful that there even was high school football, that my kid even got a chance to play his senior year. So let me put that out there. I know there's many people listening, especially in New York, where there was no high school football and there may not be any in the spring either. So I'm very grateful. But on that note, what I, here's what I'm getting at. The team, we got a really shitty draw. That's what it comes down to. Braden River got the short end of the stick. Two teams that we beat both ended up with home games against lesser opponents. Let's just put it that way. I'm not going to go out and diss any high school programs out there. But they played lesser opponents in a much easier path, an easier ride to advance farther in the playoffs where Brady River got screwed. No home games. Last week we had to, or two weeks ago, we had to go all the way on the other side of the state to play a team, which we did and we won. And then this week we had to take a 90-minute trip up the coast to Lakeland to play this team that frankly, these are the best two teams. I'm just going to put it that way. These are the best two teams in the region. So even though this was only a quarterfinal game, essentially, for all tents and all purposes, this was the regional championship, right? Anyway, this team, Lake Gibson, five power five D1 recruits on this team, folks. They have a wide receiver, DB, plays both sides of the ball. He's committed to Florida. They had another kid who's got offers from schools like 
FSU and Penn State. Uh, they have another kid who has offers from Oklahoma and Auburn, among other schools. Uh, they got a big, huge defensive tackle. He's committed to Florida State. And then they got a running back with several offers, including Arkansas and FSU. And frankly, after this game, he might have offers from every school in this country because he's just sensational. His name's J- Jalen Glover. And I'm telling you right now, I don't know if he's the best running back I've ever seen in my life in high school in person because I've been down here in Florida for four years and I've seen some incredible players. But he had the best game that I've ever seen a uh, high school running back ever. Uh, more on him in a moment. But anyway, so the game starts. Again, nobody thinks that Braden Rivers is going to win this game, except for Braden River, you know, and, and their fans and the coaches and, and the family and stuff like that. But uh, anyway, Braden River wins the toss. Lake Gibson uh, gets the ball first. They take the opening kick. The guy returns it past midfield. And then literally on the first offensive play of the game, uh, the running back scores right up the middle. Beautiful run. It's 7-0. Before I could blink, and I'm sitting in the stands, I'm like, Oh shit, it's going to be that guy tonight. You know, because all week long, you're talking yourself into thinking that you can win this game, but you know how good this team is, but you're hoping that you're going to be able to, you know, stop and contain them. And then one offensive play later, bam, seven, nothing, just like that. So you're like, ugh. But anyway, Brady River gets the ball and they come right back down the field and they score 70 yard drive and the score is tied seven, seven. Then the next possession, Gibson gets the ball and Brady River gets a stop and they get the ball back. And we score again. Then, wow, it's like 14-7. And Lake Gibson comes back. Next drive scores 14-14. We get the ball again. And we score again. Bam. 21-14, Braden River. And then we get a turnover. And deep in Lake Gibson territory. And we score again. I'm like, holy crap. We're up late in the second quarter. Like about three, four minutes left. 28-14. Then Lake Gibson scores for halftime, but Braden River goes up into the locker room 28-21 with the ball to start the second half. Now, at this point, I'm a mess. I'm pacing, like I said, edge of your seat. I shouldn't even say that because I wasn't on the edge. I was pretty much standing the entire first half. I'm a mess. I'm pacing. I'll be down the bleachers at the half, walking around, use the bathroom, just, you know, just pacing. I'm hopeful. I'm excited, but I'm also realistic because... You could just see the talent level on this Lake Gibson team. I mean, I I can't tell you how talented in words right now that Lake Gibson is. It's just, especially the offense. I mean, some of these kids, especially these D1 kids, they play a lot both ways. But uh, especially the offense specifically, it's just, it's ridiculously good. But we're playing with this team. In fact, we're up at the half. And we get the ball to start the second half. And I'm waiting for the rug to kind of get pulled out. But it doesn't happen. Because Braden River gets the ball to start the second half. Beautiful drive down the field. Mixing up the running game, the passing game very well. And Braden River's up 35-21 early in the third quarter. Like, holy shit. Then, to to me, and this was the play of the game, I think. So Braden River's up 35-21. And they try an onside kick. Now, I know, because I've talked to a couple buddies of mine who didn't see the game back up in Buffalo. And when I tell them what happened... You're like, well, why did you do an onside kick? I'm going to tell you why, Brady River, in my opinion anyway, why I think that they did an onside kick up 35-21 in the third quarter. Two reasons. Number one, it was becoming glaringly obvious that their their talent on offense was just too much to stop. So Brady River had to keep scoring to get more possessions to win the game. And two, 
every time during this game where they kicked or punted to Lake Gibson, it was a big return. They didn't bring any to the house for a touchdown, but they got great field position the entire game. And every time one of these D1 kids back there were returned to kick, because there's two or three of them, different kids, it was a threat to score. So I actually like the call. If you recover the kick, you know, lots of things happen. And that's the thing too, because so they do the onside kick, not one, but two Brady River kids had their hands on the ball. The first one, oh my God, it was right in his head. It slipped out. Second kid falls on it, but the pile comes in. And because it was an onside kick, the referees don't know that's coming. It takes them an extra couple seconds to get in position. And when he's in the pile, the kid loses the ball. So Lake Gibson gets the ball. And I say it's a play of the game because I honestly, and I'll, and I'll take this to my grave, if Braden River gets that kick and they go in and score a touchdown, which again, I mean, they scored on four straight touchdown possessions. Lake Gibson couldn't stop Braden River, just like we couldn't stop them. We go up 21 points. I think that's a game because they abandoned the running game. They got to start throwing the ball all over the place. And I just don't think, again, three possessions is too much to make up. But anyway, Lake Gibson comes out with the onside kick. Of course they score because... Again, we couldn't stop them. And it's uh, instead of a 42-21 game, now it's 35-28. And then on the next possession, they got momentum after this. We get stopped, force a punt. The guy runs it back inside the 20, which I just explained why every time we kicked to him, something bad happened. So the, And they score again. And just like that, it's tied. And you can start to feel the air come out on our side of the field. So it's 35-35. But again, it, it felt like we were losing. And then they go out and they get a second straight stop on our offense, which, by the way, our offense was fantastic. Uh, Lake Gibson gets the ball. They score again. And 21 unanswered points later, uh, they take the lead. 42-35. End of the third quarter. So we went from being up 35-21 to potentially up even three touchdowns to being down 42-35 at the end of the third quarter. And I, I need to remind you of this. It sounds in a way, like a choke job. I promise you it's not. This was just an incredible football team that they played against. It really was. So anyway, it's 35 or 42-35, end of the third quarter. That's just, that's crazy, right? Early in the fourth, we get the ball back. Our quarterback drops back and connected on a 70-yard bomb. And we tie it again. So now we're in the fourth quarter and it's 42-42. And our defense needs to stop, but just couldn't get it. This Lake Gibson offense, just unstoppable. This running back, Jalen Glover, just completely unstoppable. He scores again, and it's 49-42. And then our quarterback, who played absolutely incredible, by the way. Awesome quarterback. Uh, he's going to Rice on a D1 scholarship. I mean, he's a big-time player. Kept, put this team at times throughout the season and in this game, specifically on his back, okay? So, he was fantastic, but he forced the pass at this point. Uh, he was scrambling to the right, threw it along the sideline, kind of telegraphed it a little bit, and got picked off. And uh, the guy from Lake Gibson returned it deep into Braden River territory. They score again, and now it's 56-42 with only 3.30 left. So, for again, for all intents and purposes, the game is over. Well, not, not really, because Braden River gets the ball back, drives all the way down the field, and then they score a touchdown, and now, bam, it's 56-49. There's still 18.4 ticks left on that clock, too. And uh, Brandon River does an onside kick, and holy shit, 
get it. Get the onside kick. In fact, not only does Braden River get the onside kick, but it's my son who comes away with the ball. So my son, which turned out to be the last play of his high school career, comes away with the ball on the onside kick. He got it. So Braden River now has the ball at the their own 48-yard line. Time for a few plays. But long story short, again, they, they didn't get it in. They didn't have enough time and uh, ran out of time. That's basically what happened. They didn't get stopped. They ran out of time. So at the end of the game, Lake Gibson ended up winning 56-49. to Just an unbelievable game. And I, I know I'm not even doing it justice trying to describe it right now. He had to be there. Oh, that running back, again, Jalen Glover, he ran for 317 yards and scored seven. Seven touchdowns. He was just absolutely unstoppable. So frustrating if you're trying to stop him. But again, I mean, look, and I'm not making any excuses up, but it is what it is too. Raiden River was without their uh, their best defensive lineman and without their middle linebacker. They were both hurt and it really hurt the team. Uh, but anyway, I'm not going to get into that stuff because again, these kids just played their guts out, man. It was, it was just such a surreal moment. And my heart broke for not just my kid, but all those kids on Brady River because they played their asses off. They really did. I mean, you hear that all the time. They played their asses off. They left it all on the field. Well, they did. And you just had to really kind of step back and appreciate what they did. It was really one of those kind of David versus Goliaths in a way. Because again, Brady River's got a good team, but they don't have, other than the quarterback, any D1 players, any quote-unquote big-time star players where this team... On the other side of the field, Lake Gibson was just absolutely loaded with them. But anyway, obviously I spent, you know, the entire weekend sad because, again, you know, a regional quarterfinal that for all intents and purposes was really the regional championship. And uh, that's tough to watch your son emotional. He, he was crying after the game some. And he let, again, not just him, the whole team. They left everything out there, man. And uh, it's, t- it's tough to see. And especially when you're a senior and, you know, my, my man played his ass off. He really did. It's tough sledding out here in Florida, high school football. I, I, I can't, you have to watch it. I, I can't properly explain how good some of these kids are. And at some point I'll start to reflect on the journey. You know, you have a kid and they go through little loops starting at five, six years old, all the way through high school. It's just been some of the best moments of my life has given me so much joy just to be able to watch it. And I keep my sanity right now because it's not his last game. It's just his last high school football game. I don't know where he's going to go to school yet, but I'm blessed to know, you know, he's got offers and he'll be going to a, a smaller school, but he'll be playing college football. So that wasn't his last game. And my heart always breaks, not just football. Whenever these kids out there, these seniors, they put so much work into it for so long, for so many years, so much time, so much effort, so much money, so much pain. And when it all comes to an end, it's tough to watch. And especially in a heartbreaking, thrilling kind of game like that. But, you know, it is what it is. So uh, just been in the, you know, that kind of move in the last few days. It's just, it's tough to see, but there's always a silver lining. Anyway, it was a roller coaster of a ride. I wouldn't trade it for anything else. Just wanted to share that. Now, as for today, Greg Thompson, one of my favorite guys out there. Greg's very talented, man. Very popular, well-liked Buffalo Bills podcaster. He's got a really good following on Twitter. He's very active on there. Just a really nice guy. He really is. I've had Greg on this show a handful of times before, and he always delivers. 
great insight, good takes, very even keel. Always, uh, you know, steps back and has a good evaluation on things. He's not a big time knee jerk reactor like I am. With one exception, though, because if you're a regular listener to the show, you'll remember that I had Greg on the show. It was night one of free agency that we were taping for a release the next morning. And while we were taping, Stefan Diggs got traded to the Bills. And Greg went from being professional podcaster to big time fanboy because it happened in real time. It was really uh, funny to see. But anyway, we're going to take a spin around the NFL. You know, the Buffalo Bills again, we're on a bye. A very good bye week for the Bills, not just because they had an opportunity to get over that Arizona loss and to rest some of these guys that have been banged up. But I'm talking about with the way things played out around the league. Uh, so we'll hit on that much more. In fact, let's get to that right now. Here it is, my chat with Cover One Buffalo podcast host, Greg Thompson. Mr. Greg Thompson, how you doing, buddy? Doing well, Pat. Uh, excited to be able to to talk here. It's weird coming off a, a Sunday with no Bills football, but uh, fun stretch run coming. Well, I'll tell you what. I I got more football this past weekend than I could have ever bargained for in the stands. I talked about it in the opening and uh, talking about my kids' high school football game. And oh, you know what? I already talked about. It. I'm not going to do that again. I'm going to give you. You know what? I usually ask a lot of questions and get all of your expert insight and takes. And we're going to do that today, but let me offer you a piece of advice here, buddy. All right. Because I am no pillar for good advice, but you got two young kids, Greg, right? I do. I do. Seven and four. Enjoy it. It goes by so freaking fast, whether they grow up, whether they play sports or get into dancing, music, don't matter what it is, man. Shit goes by fast. It goes by so fast. It feels like yesterday where I had a 74-year-old. Well, there was a little bit more of an age gap, but now I blink my eyes and I have a 22-year-old daughter who's done with Air Force training back home for now. And I got a son who it feels like yesterday I was taking him to Lackawanna Little Loop and now his ass is done playing high school football. It's just blink of an eye, man. It goes by so fast. Just go to all their shit. Whatever they do, go to their shit. <laughs> no, I, I, I've uh, I've certainly watched your journey here through through all the posts and everything, and I, I certainly know that that proud dad moment. And I, I promised myself I'm not going to push my kids into any one area. I just want them to be excited and passionate about something in life, and I'll, I'll be 100% behind it regardless of what it is. Yeah, for sure. And that's that's kind of the whole point that I hammer home to everybody. And again, I'm not exactly a pillar of good life advice all the way around. But when it comes to that, man, when when our kids get involved, whatever it may be, just you got to be there for them, man, because they remember it, you know, and you don't, it just goes by quick, man. You just don't get to, get to have it. It becomes part of your life too, part of your routine as much as as theirs. And speaking, you know what, speaking of routines, man, what was it like for you this past weekend? So you're a big Buffalo Bills fan, obviously. You have a successful podcast that you and Aaron do. Aaron and I talk about it on this show all the time. You know, usually you got a Bills game and right after that game, bam, you're jumping on and, you know, you're kind of, as a Bills fan, you kind of focus your entire weekend around that game. So what was it like for you this year having a buy of seven and three team right now? Was it 
relaxing? Was it boring? Was it stressful? What was life like for in the Greg Thompson household this weekend? Um, it certainly is a, I'm a creature of habit. So I get into routines and rhythms with everything. So it's weird, but it's no different than throwing me off when the bills have a Thursday night game or a Monday night game or how they had a Tuesday night game this year. Um, so it's not any more than throwing me off from that, but it was weird. And I'm not one who normally has the opportunity to sit down and watch all the other games for that much intensive time. I'm usually rewatching them on the condensed versions because usually the bills play at one, they wrap up. I run downstairs uh, or upstairs now, actually my new setup um, and get rolling. And we're hosting the show from say four 30 to five 30. And then I'm doing post-show production. And then I go down and kind of have red zone on while we're eating dinner and realistically, I watch bits and pieces of the other games, but, you know, seven hours of my day is the Bills game and then the show. So being able to sit down and genuinely digest all of Red Zone for the one o'clock and four o'clock games was fun. Like it was fun to be able to just watch the biggest moments of all the other games and just kind of take it all in. I'm kind of a creature of habit, too. If you had your way. Would you have the Bills play every week, Sunday at one o'clock? I would because now I know how much fans get excited and understandably so when you get to have your team play in prime time. But for me, I just, I love the habit and the routine of getting up on my Sunday morning, knowing the Bills are playing at one o'clock and then kind of having my, uh, my day revolve around that. Like what's your take when it comes to when the Bills play? Do you care? Um, I'm not proud of how much money I would spend to lock in 1 p.m. Sunday every single week. Like, hey, <laughs> it would be a large amount of money. Like, if you could just tell me I could lock in the Bills having a Sunday 1 p.m. game every single week, I would be ecstatic. Like, that, that is football to me. That is elite football time. That fits into my, my schedule and my life. Uh, I hate primetime games. Like, I get why fans you know, want them for the national attention and stuff like that. But I don't care. I'm watching the game either way. I don't care how many other people watch the game. I don't need their excitement and their approval to feel good about my team. Uh, I I hate it. (laughs) Yeah, me too. I'm the exact same way. And, you know, I've talked to Aaron about this too. So is it difficult? I want to get your take on this. Is it difficult sometimes to really clear your head, so to speak, and get in and stay level-headed when you're doing a podcast live and not just doing it live, you're doing it moments after a Bills game. I've I've told Aaron this, I'm going to tell you the same thing. There's several reasons why my show production schedule is Tuesday and, and Friday. And one of those reasons is because I straight up don't think I had the ability to record something directly after a Bills game because I just get far too emotional, which is a fault of mine. You know, I get too high when they play well. I get too low when, uh, when they play bad and my takes, well, they're not that they're golden on Tuesday either, but they would be extra bad, you know, immediately after game on Sunday. But anyway, I guess my question is when you, when you do that and you go live right after a game, is it difficult for you to be able sometimes, you know, to to keep your head, your head clear and be level headed? Cause I'm, I'm thinking of games like say, the Rams win earlier this year where they played fantastic in the first half. Or, and or I maybe know, a last second Hail Mary. 
Yeah, or a last second Hail Mary. Exactly. <laughs> like when you're like for an example, the Rams game, I know I'm sure to some extent, whether it's mental or you're typing it on your computer, I'm sure you have some notes and stuff that you're getting ready to talk about when you go live on the air with uh with Aaron. So, you know, in their first half, you're watching that Rams game, you're like domination, this and that. And then all of a sudden they play like, you know, everything falls apart in the second half. The Rams eventually take the lead. Bills win the game in the end. And uh, bam, just like that, you're on the air. Or vice versa, two weeks ago, like you brought it up, the Hail Mary. It looked like the Bills were going to win. The, at first it looked like they were going to win the game. Then it looked like they were going to lose it. Then Josh Allen drives down the field and it looks like they're going to win it. And then Hail Mary. And then before you know it, you and Aaron are on the air. I would be losing my shit on the air if I had to go on even hours after that game, let alone minutes. I mean, so, you know, sometimes it's difficult for you to be able to keep an even keel and just kind of compose yourself, I I guess, on air. No, I mean, it It certainly is. And it's funny, Joe Marino and I had a very similar conversation about this exact idea and, and how, you know, how hard is it to go live immediately after emotional things. And I'll say, the structure of the show helps because I know the things I need to be prepared for and to take notes on. And I have my templates and all the things I'm filling out as we go and the different segments that we have to do. Having the obligation of sponsors helps a little bit that I can't give myself the excuse of, nah, screw it. I don't want to talk about this one this week. Um, so it, it helps a little bit to be able to go through there and to keep track of the toxic differential and keep track of the players of the game and keep track of, you know, what was the responsible moment we want to talk about just all those different pieces it it really helps to be able to force myself to stay in that infrastructure and to know that i need to be able to react to it and it's cathartic when you do it so getting a chance to talk through all those different things helps you stay more level-headed and not to overreact good or bad because we're going to dissect okay what went well what didn't go well why should we feel good about this game? Why should we feel more concerned about this game? And how do we juggle and manage it in between the two? You know, you bring up something that I'm going to piggyback on this, where sometimes talking about something could be therapeutic. Like for an example, the game two weeks ago against Arizona, did it almost feel like therapeutic for you to be able to get on the air and actually talk it out? That's kind of how I felt. And it's been, I mean, again, you did this to your credit. You had to do it minutes after that game ended. I was talking about at the top here, a high school football game that my kid played 72 hours ago. And even then, it felt like it it felt therapeutic for me to just be able to talk a little bit about the game itself. Kind of resonated in my mind. It made me a little bit more peaceful. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, do you legit consider it sometimes after a loss like that? Because you are a Bills fan. I'm a Bills fan. And maybe in some ways to be able to talk it out why they lost the game, not just that game, but any game. Oh, you know, uh, do you find it a little bit therapeutic? A hundred percent. I think that's actually a great description of it. And, you know, I, I fancy myself an analyst and I try to be as objective and unbiased as possible, but I am number one by far a Bills fan. So I always am viewing it in those rose colored glasses all the time. I think I can be objective about things. I think I can step back and look at things in an analytical approach to be intelligent about it, but I'm always going to be giving them the benefit of the doubt. I'm always going to be leaning into those things or frustrated by it. I'm, I'm an optimistic person by nature, so I don't get down 
after losses as bad as some people do just by nature. I'm, I'm very apt and I most commonly look for the silver lining in things in life. So that helps me in, in that kind of approach that I'm able to kind of compartmentalize and move on, you know, maybe quicker than, than some people are able to, but you know, I, I'm sure there's some repressed part of my brain that <laughs> that I'm depriving that I'll, I'll have to deal with sometime in life. Well, let, let me say this too, and I'm going to piggyback again off what you just said, because one of the things I, I like about you, and I'm not talking about the podcast, I'm talking about as a person, is that you are, and from my dealings with you, at least for sure, a very optimistic, happy-go-lucky for the most part type of person, which I, you know I believe in life that people should surround themselves, I call it like checks and balances. Like I'm the polar opposite, man. And I've openly admitted it to a fault. I get too high or I get too low. You know, I have a very difficult time sometimes keeping level-headed and you're on that more optimistic side. I think you do a really good job of, I don't want to necessarily stay, and I'm not talking about your podcast. I'm not necessarily talking about staying in your lane because that makes it sound like shut up and talk about football and nothing else. That's not what I mean. But like for the most part, you don't get sucked into stupidity. You don't get sucked into fights on like, especially Twitter. You know, we're both on Twitter. I, we talk to each other all the time and we both see everything that's going on. And it's just so much negativity and division, not just in this country, but I'm talking just for the purposes here, of like social media, whether it's politics or, you know, the handling of COVID and, and stuff like that. I'm going to assume, let me know if I'm wrong, that although sometimes Somebody will push your buttons a little bit too far. You got to go at them a little bit, but I'm going to assume that for the most part, you make a pretty conscious effort to avoid that type of shit as much as possible. That negativity that really tends to bring people down. A hundred percent. And it's very intentional. Um, I believe strongly that the power of positive thinking and the ability to impact your life and what's around you. I don't, I don't, I'm not silly. I don't think superstitiously I can impact events and things like that around me, but I do believe that surrounding myself with positive energy and, and thinking good things and being able to try to control what I can control helps me be more successful in life and happier in life. So, you know, I, my family all the time will, you know, get frustrated. My direct family, my mom, my dad, my sister, my wife, you know, people that I, I trust and talk to all the time, you know, well, oh my gosh, did you see what so-and-so posted? I'm like, no, I didn't. <laughs> you yeah. know, aren't you going to, aren't you going to, you know, because they know what I think and what my personal beliefs are, my personal politics are. I'm like, no. And, and I always use the example, you know, I had one cousin really start to get into it with me online one day and I was joking and you know, he wouldn't cut it and wouldn't cut it. And, would, and, and eventually I was like, all right. It, and I kind of set a trap for him and I said, oh, man, do you remember when, you know, when we were talking back and forth and we were deciding what house to buy here and what mortgage rate I should get and what school district we should get to? And, you know, and I was when I was talking to you about that, and he said, no, no, Greg, you didn't talk to me about that. I was like, oh, yeah, because I don't care what you think about important life things. <laughs> That's good advice, man. It really I, I, you is. know, like, hey, I, I, why in the world would I spend time and energy worrying about what other people say on the internet? Like, it just, it doesn't impact my life in the least. Yeah, I hear you, man. All right, let's take a quick dive around the league. Obviously, the Bills in play. What I want to do is just go around the games on Sunday and 
you know, maybe I'll, I'll get a, a take from you or a thought or two on uh, all the games and I'll kind of go in order of how I think they're significant and impactful towards the Buffalo Bills. Obviously, the big game in terms of the Buffalo Bills is Denver beating Miami by seven. Tua got pulled late in the game for Fitz, who threw an interception in the end zone. Uh, the big story, of course, Miami falls to six and four. Everybody, including myself, thought they were going to win the game and they would tie the Bills while the Bills were on a bye. But that didn't happen. Tua's stats, very pedestrian. I think it was 11 to 20, just 83 yards and a touchdown. He was sacked six times. Uh, thrown for 170 or fewer yards in three of his four starts so far as a rookie. I guess the question I got for you is, do you think that Brian Flores did the right thing by first naming Tua a starter a couple weeks ago when the Dolphins were winning with Fitzpatrick, but maybe more significantly pulling him in the second half of, the, of this game at Denver? Like, what's your thought on that? So I, I can't imagine I have as many Dolphins fans in my life as you do, but I have a lot in my life. I, I have several close friends that are Dolphins fans um, and several who grew up just wanting to root for the opposite of the bills in that, you know, have stuck with it over time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've had this debate a couple times already today. When you go back to was to already, should he have bench fits? I, I trusted him. I think Brian Flores is a really good coach. I think that he is absolutely a reason dolphins fans should feel optimistic about the future. I think he's a net positive overall and really, really good. When he did that, I think you had to trust it and say, hey, he sees it in practice. He knows if this guy's if this guy has it and he sees where they're looking this season and that they have a shot at this. If he trusts them to go, then all right, you know, it's fine. It's not what I would have done. It's kind of weird to pull a guy who's playing really, really well on a winning streak, but okay, wh- whatever. Getting to yesterday, once you make that decision, you absolutely unequivocally cannot go back. You can't. What he did yesterday, pulling Tua for performance and then doubling down on it after the game and saying, yes, he was not injured. He was pulled for performance because Fitz gave us the best chance of win to win that game. You can't undo that. You can't unplant that seed in the back of Tua's mind. The next time that he's struggling and off to a slow start and they're down by a touchdown, what's the first thing he's going to think when he comes to the sideline? You've now now planted that seed in the locker room. What are the other guys on the team going to think when this guy starts to struggle and they've been, you know, bleeding and sweating for this season for a playoff run. And now he throws an interception and the other team takes a lead and they all look at Flores on the sideline because they all know that Flores thinks Fitzpatrick gives them the best chance to win. He, this was an enormous mistake by Brian Flores. It Now, it doesn't mean he's not a good coach. It doesn't mean that he doesn't have a bright future. This was a huge misstep and I think could have significant ramifications if they don't get it turned around quickly. Yeah, you know what? I, I agree with that. I think that's spot on. And I got to say this, going to Tua when they did, even when Fitz was playing reasonably well and Miami was winning, I bought into that. If like, if I'm a Dolphins fan, my thought is, okay, it's not that they're not trying to win now, but we're starting, we're talking about the future and the future starts right now. So I was good with that. But if you're going to do that, then you're hundred percent right, man. You got to stick with the guy. The first time he has trouble, some adversity, you yank him. I, I got to feel like that resonates. It kind of sends a, a mixed message because what this is four starts now. So about a month ago, you're saying, 
we're going to start thinking about our future right now while we're still playing football and trying to win games too. But then less than a month later, I mean, again, like literally one bad start later, you yank him and say that he Fritz gave you the best chance to win. I agree with you, man. I, I just think that's a, it was shocking. That's a move that, I, yeah, it is. And it's going to come back to, I think it's going to come back to haunt them at some point. Why not the next couple of weeks because they're playing the Jets and the, and the Bengals at home. They've got two but, uh, easy yeah. ones here. The point I made to some of my, my Dolphins friends was that now if Fitz came back and got them the win, I would have said it was still a mistake, but it was worth it. And that, hey, holding on to any win in this tight playoff run is worth trying to take a stab at it. And that it was still a mistake. You can't undo the long-term repercussions uh, that it has on, on Tua and the doubt you just planted in his mind. But at least I could get it. The fact that Fitz didn't come back and they still lost and you did that, you've now planted, you know, a, a fissure in that locker room that is going to be really tough to undo. And I'm curious how it goes. Yeah, me too, for sure. Uh, the other divisional game that impacted Buffalo, Houston beat New England by a touchdown. So New England's four and six. Their season is, I'd say unofficially at this point on life support. I don't think they're dead yet, but they're definitely on life support. Cam had a pretty good game statistically anyway. I think 26 to 40, 365. But he was outplayed by Deshaun Watson. Uh, I guess my question coming out of this game, you think Cam Newton's one and done with New England? Like, do you see him being here just one year and then Bill Belichick assuming Bill comes back that they're going to try to move on from him and maybe get another rookie? Because it don't seem like Sidham's the answer. If he was, he'd probably be playing at this point. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be an entire quarterback carousel going on this offseason. I think San Francisco looks for a new starter. I think Drew Brees retires. I think Philip Rivers might retire. I think Andy Dalton's out there. Jameis Winston is out there. Plus, you're going to have a new quarterback class coming in with probably, I've heard anywhere from four to six first-round quarterbacks coming out. So when you combine all of that, New England's going to have one of those guys. I don't know that it's 0% chance that Cam is that guy because now it's going to be the devil that you know versus the devil that you don't. So if it comes down to Cam versus Andy Dalton, Cam versus Jameis Winston, yeah, probably. I don't think the Patriots are going to be in a position to take Justin Fields or, or uh, Trevor Lawrence. So you're talking about a next tier rookie quarterback who's probably not coming in to start day one. So maybe he's combined with whatever guy they pick 14th in the draft. The one name that would be interesting is if San Francisco moves on, which I almost think financially they have to, from Jimmy Garoppolo. Do they bring Garoppolo back instead of Cam? Um, so I I would put it at like 70, 30, 80, 20. That it's one and done, but it's not zero. Okay. Uh, the Jets. <laughs> so they lose to the Chargers. <laughs> I, I got a kick. I don't know why I thought it was funny, but Sunday evening, I started seeing the Jets are mathematically eliminated from the playoff tweets. That, that was a great post. I saw it. I just well. thought it was kind of funny. But anyway, uh, yeah. Um, so Justin Herbert, I mean, God, you know, 37 to 49 through three more touchdowns. This kid looks really good. 290 or more yards passing in six of his eight starts. And I read that he's the only rookie ever to have three or more touchdown passes in at least five games as a rookie. Uh, we'll talk about Chargers versus Bills because they play him next week in a minute. But first, I just want to get your take on him because, uh, you know, I wasn't thrilled with that pick, to be honest with you. Not that I'm, I don't know, you know far more than draft than I do. But I, I really wasn't moved by that pick. But this guy has really looked good, man. 
Yeah, I, Justin Herbert was easily my biggest whiff of the draft. I did not think he was going to be good. I thought Joe Burrow was going to be good. I didn't think he was special. I, I think there's still a gap in arm talent that I think Burrow's going to be really good. I think there's some things he's missing from a high-end arm talent standpoint. And then I wasn't sure on Tua. The, the bad news for Bills fans is all three of those names we just brought up have completely re-energized moribund franchises like the Chargers, the Bengals, and the Dolphins, and the Jets getting Trevor Lawrence, who I think is materially better than all three of Burrow, Herbert, and Tua, is scary. And that yeah. that any quarterback can fix any franchise. Now, it doesn't mean next year they still don't have a talented roster, they still have a horrible coach, but they're going to fire that coach, and they're going to bring in a new coach, and if you're pitching a you know, a sales pitch to the best up and coming court uh, coaches and your sales pitch is a hundred million dollars in cap space, Trevor Lawrence and a bunch of other extra picks like the extra Seattle pick and all the other picks they got for Jamal Adams and all the cap space. And you're telling me they get Eric B enemy and Trevor Lawrence. I'm not super excited about that as a Bills fan. Like that, that doesn't sound great. Um, so I, I don't think they're going to be great next year, but you give them a franchise quarterback and a new head coach, they could turn that around too. Yeah, bouncing back to the Jets, I mean, it's a two-team race right now for the top pick. It's the Jets and Jacksonville. Uh, the Jets are winless. Jacksonville's only got one win, and the next teams after that got three. And I'm looking right now at the Jets' schedule. So they got Miami at home, the Raiders at home, uh, at Seattle, at the Rams, Cleveland at home, and then at New England. 0-6, I mean, six losses in a row. This next game is it. For any team. The, the Dolphins yeah. game is it. Yeah, if they if they lose to Miami, 0-16. Short of that, or New England being out of it and pulling everyone, and that it's um, they just want to see what they have in, oh, I'm drawing a blank, who's the guy, but, uh, Jarrett Stidham, and yeah. that maybe that final game, they want to see what they have because they're out of it and they give it to Stidham and that maybe it's a chess versus checkers thing and uh, Belichick wants the Jets to get a win in that final game. That's it. I was just thinking that. I'm like, well, yeah, I don't think New England would hand anything. Well, not you're not suggesting they are either, but I would think New England would really play to win that game. Well, it, I guess it depends. If the, if the Jets have already locked up the topic, like if Jacksonville wins another game or two, and the Jets already are locked into that topic, whether they win or lose, then maybe New England plays a bunch, they play Stidham and they play a bunch of young guys. But if that game comes down to the Jets needing to win or to lose, I should say, to you know, to secure that top pick, I I don't know that it could go the other way. Like I'm saying, is I just completely screwed that up. I went back. No, no, but you know but what it I makes meant. sense. You know what I meant. Yeah, the, they the don't want the Bill Belichick don't want him having the top pick. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, the guys on the field tank, never tank. The guys on the field are always playing their their best, and you saw that with the Jets almost beating the Chargers here yesterday. Right. The guys on the field are always going their best. If New England all of a sudden says, "Oh, hey, it's the final game of the year. We probably should rest Stephon Gilmore and." Devin McCourty and Cam Newton, and we want to see what we have in these younger guys, they can set it up to where it's a very winnable game for New York. And if you look at the Jags schedule, you know, Vikings, Titans, Ravens, Bears, Colts, they ain't going to be favored in none of those games either. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I think that it's very, and if you look at the way that it works out, the, uh, the Jets have the harder schedule 
which is not that. So the Jags have the easier schedule, meaning they win the tiebreaker if both are one in 15. So if the if the Jets win one game and the Jags lose out, the Jags get the number one pick. So it could come down to it that final week where if Belichick can maneuver his way into losing that game to the Jets, he would screw them out of Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, that would be so awesome. There's going to be some tanking going on, that's for sure, one way or the other between a couple of these teams. Now, on the opposite end, there ain't no tanking going on with the Kansas City Chiefs. 35-31 over the Raiders. Dude, as somebody who has Patrick Mahomes in literally every fantasy league I'm in, this guy just, he's just money, man. He really is. That game-winning drive where he hits Kelsey with the winning touchdown, it just looked easy. It just looked like there was barely any resistance from the Raiders, who overall played a good game. And I'm looking through these stats, and through 41 starts, Patrick Mahomes has more touchdown passes, more passing yards, and a higher QB rating than anyone in the history of the NFL. Your boy's on track to be one of the greatest, if not the greatest, ever. Uh, The Raiders, 6-4. and They could be a tough out in the playoffs, so if they make it, they play the Raiders well. You saw them against Buffalo. Like, What's your opinion on the Raiders right now? So it's weird because if you remove the two Chiefs games, I don't think they're anything special. They beat up on bad teams and they haven't beat any other good teams. Um, when you add in those games, it there is something weird about their ability to go shot for shot with the Chiefs. And they've given them two of the toughest games that the Chiefs have had all year. Um, I think the Raiders are in that tier of you know, almost playoff teams. I think they're right there on par with the Browns and the Dolphins. And, you know, somebody's going to win that seven seed, but I'm not afraid to play any of them. I think that they're good. I think that on a great day, they can beat the Bills or they could beat the Steelers or they could beat the Chiefs. But for the most part, I think they're a, a solid notch below um, the Bills, Steelers and and Chiefs and they're okay. I I don't think they're anything special, but they certainly have something some something magical when it comes up to playing the Chiefs and giving them a run for their money. Yeah, for sure. You mentioned the Steelers. They they pounded Jacksonville. So Pittsburgh's ten and zero. Why is Big Ben not more in the MVP conversation? I mean, we talk Murray, we talk Wilson, we talk Rogers, we talk Josh Allen. Very deservedly so. All four of them don't really hear him talk. Uh, maybe Tom Brady. I don't hear anything about Big Ben. Why is this guy not even in the conversation? His, his team's 10-0, and 0, and you're seeing the difference between when he's quarterback and when Mason Rudolph's quarterback. He's not ripping it completely up, but he's having a pretty good year. Yeah, it, they're, they're such a weird team because, I mean, 10-0 and 0 is 10-0. You can't take it away from them. They also have, I think, six of those games are single-digit wins, a couple of them against bad teams that they've had to scrap out in those moments, and they still count. Like You you can't take it away from them. I, I think they're a very, very good team. I think that they deserve the credit that they're getting. You know, it, do you think if they played the Chiefs 10 times, do you think they'd win more than two of them? Because I don't. Um, I think they're the best. I think they have the best chance of anybody in the NFL, AFC or NFC, of, of beating the Chiefs. And I would say the Raiders, but if it's a game that matters, I, I think that they pose the biggest threat to them. Sure. And it's and got I nothing think, to do with whether it's at home or not. I just think that I think the defense. Steelers are a complete team. Yeah. I, I think their defense is special and I think their offense is good. Um, I think that it depends on who's going, but they have a lot of weapons in the passing game to have Claypool and Juju and Deontay Johnson is a lot of 
options and heck James Washington on top of that um, to be able to have all of those going at once, I think is, is something solid. And I, I think it's, Kind of that initial doubt that I mentioned, the reason that Roethlisberger is not getting more of that credit, because I don't think people consider them a, a finger quotes here, the, a real 10-0, and 0, uh, just because they've had some of those ugly games. So um, I, I think this is going to be a big test for them down the stretch here. These games against the Ravens, the Bills, the Colts, and the Browns, um, they're going to get tested. At some point here, and be able to to position themselves, but they're absolutely going to be one of those top seeds in the AFC playoffs, and are going to be a problem to be dealt with, and deserve to be in that top tier with the Chiefs. Yeah, Big Ben, twenty four touchdown passes, five interceptions. I I feel like he deserves at least at this point anyway to be in at a minimum, at least in the conversation. I don't think they're going to go sixteen and zero. You just mentioned a bunch of teams; they're going to lose somewhere along the line. But I'll tell you this though. So they play Baltimore on Thursday night in in Pittsburgh. If they win that game, they got Washington at home. They could be coming in twelve and zero to Buffalo in, in Week fourteen. That, that that's got to intrigue you, right? Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah, I think that it's very possible that they come into that game um, undefeated. And honestly, I mean, from a a betting standpoint, the Bills are going to be favored in their games here. There's a very good chance they're coming in nine and three versus twelve and zero. Uh, I think that that's going to be a, a really exciting matchup, and obviously. I think at that point would be the second and third best teams in the AFC. So it'd be a really fun way to approach that or arguably the best team if they're 12 and 0. So yeah, that would be a really exciting way to to come into that. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that game. I think it's going to be awesome and it's a very likely playoff preview. Cleveland beat Philly over the weekend. Cleveland moved, improves to a seven and three. Carson Wentz stinks. By the way, I watched a good chunk of that game. He's, he threw a pick six. He's, he's just, I don't know what it is, man. I, I tweeted this. I used to think before the season started, I was like, I still would think Carson Wentz is a little better than Josh Allen. I'm not even sure he's better than Matt Barkley anymore. I mean, it's this bad. guy's just fall. Now, in fairness, his offensive line's a disaster. And, uh, you know, a lot of guys in and out just been a mass unit all year, both sides of the ball. So the consistency hasn't been there. But this guy's just making terrible decisions. But anyway, I don't want to care about them. Outside of the ball, Baker Mayfield is having a very pedestrian year to me, man. And, uh, you know, they, they've been missing Nick Chubby's back and you can see the difference there, but it's like Cleveland hasn't impressed me too much. They continue to like beat up on bad teams and lose to good teams. But at the end of the day, they're seven and three, you know what I'm saying? And they're looking, I mean, again, there's a lot of football left, but they're looking pretty good at seven and three to, to be a postseason team. And you look at their schedule remaining. I mean, they're at Jacksonville. That's an easy win. They're playing the giants. Uh, they're playing the jets. So even if they that's just win those right three there. games, that's 10 right there. So even if they win those games and then lose the games that most people think they will, which would be at Tennessee, uh, Pittsburgh, and they still got Baltimore. So they're looking like they're going to get to 10 wins in their playoff team, but are they impressive to you? They're not to me. Um, I, They're the same as the Raiders to me. You know, they have a, an impressive win against the Colts and then a bunch of other games where they won where they're supposed to and lost where they're supposed to. And that I think they're in that tier. Uh, same thing. Same as Miami. Same as Vegas. Um, They're not as shiny as those teams. But if you look at the results, they're about the same. So I, I don't have any, you know, strong feelings on them. I think that their running game is legit and that that can translate well in the playoffs. I think Miles Garrett is a game wrecker who can take over games at, at, at certain points. So I think that they have as good of a chance as an upset as a Tennessee or in Indianapolis, Miami, Las Vegas. So I wouldn't pick them to do that. But 
you know, I, I think they're going to win at Jacksonville, at New York, and uh, at New York back-to-back for the Jets and Giants. And I actually think that game on December 6th with the Titans is basically going to be a play-in game, that the winner is going to be set up to go into the playoffs. Because if Tennessee loses to Cleveland, they're going to be in deep, deep trouble. And that I think that's going to be a tough one. So that's going to be an interesting one there. If they lose all three of those games that, that they wouldn't be favored in, I think that's going to be very telling. And they'll probably be the seventh seed and probably play the Steelers in the first round of the playoffs and get knocked out in ugly fashion. Uh, what else we got here? So uh, the Titans. Titans beat the Ravens in overtime. You know, I feel like we know who the Tennessee Titans are right now. Like they have an identity. We know what it is. Baltimore to me is like an enigma at this point. And Lamar Jackson specifically, again, pedestrian numbers looked meh, not great to me. And I think it's a fair question to ask at this point because it's not early in the year anymore. We're well past the halfway point. Was this guy, I don't want to, well, maybe I don't know whether to say it. Is he, at least to some extent, kind of a flash in the pan? Was he a one-year wonder? Because he ain't playing good right now, let alone great. You know, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm a Baltimore fan. I'm concerned about him. It seems like there's no creativity or there's no direction with this offense. You know what I'm? They don't change any plays at the line. I I just don't know what it is. I'm not a fan. Yeah, and so here's a couple things that I know for sure. I am a hundred percent certain he has regressed from last year. I'm a hundred percent certain that defensive defenses have made more adjustments to the Greg Roman offense than they've been able to counter against. Now, whether that means he can never get back to last year and is truly a flash in the pan that will never get back to successful, you know, high level football, I don't know. I'm not sure if I'm ready for that yet. I think that he could get back to just short of last year and still be pretty darn good. You know, he doesn't have to be unanimous MVP good again to be able to do that. But I think that they certainly have been exposed to some extent that there were some gimmicky pieces last year. They had teams tricked to where, you know, Mark Andrews running wide open by himself down the middle of the field just isn't happening this year like it was last year. So being able to now figure out, do they have another step to this is going to be interesting. I think that, you know, they're still six and four. He's still on pace for, I think, another thousand yard rushing season um, and still decent in, in passing. So it, it's something where I'm I'm not ready to say that he's you know never going to be good or was a bust, but or is it you know a flash in the pan and, and done? But it's he's regressed and it's inarguable that he's taken a major step back. I'll tell you right now. They're, so they're six and four. I think they're going to make the playoffs. But the only reason why I think they're going to make the playoffs, Greg, is because I think it's because of their schedule. So they play at Pittsburgh and uh, they got a, a road game at Cleveland. They could easily lose those two games. But aside from that, they got Dallas at home. They got the Jags at home. They got the Giants at home. And they're at the Bengals without Joey Burrow. Those teams stink. That's four wins right there to get them to 10. I could see them making the playoffs and being one and done. I'm just, you know, call me a homer. Uh, Not you. I'm sure some people will. I don't care. If I was a GM right now and I was starting a team, I I would take Josh Allen over Lamar Jackson right now. I swear to God I would. And I, I truly mean that. I don't even think I'd have to think hard about it either. Um, I, I think that's the right call. And I think that the sustainability and the steps forward from a passing standpoint, especially when you talk about the fact that rushing is only going to get you so far. You look at Russell Wilson getting into your 30s. It's nice when you can still pick up a third, a third and four with your legs 
but he's a passer. He's not a sure. rusher. Like he he gives you the threat of running the ball, but that's not his primary weapon. That's what you need. You need to be able to win from the pocket while threatening with your legs. If you had to ask yourself right now who has a better chance to be doing that five years down the line, I think it's 100% Josh Allen and not Lamar Jackson. Now, could Lamar Jackson still have one or two more miraculous 1,200-yard rushing seasons while still being pretty good passing here in the next three or four years? Sure, but at some point when he loses a half a step, is he going to be able to transition into a primarily passing quarterback? I just don't know that I see it sustainably. When it comes to the Colts, so they beat Green Bay in overtime. Dude, they're 7-3. and three. Now, obviously, this is Buffalo, so we're always talking Buffalo Bills. But aside from that, it's always Chiefs talk and Steelers talk, to some extent, Titans. A lot of people, we spend a lot of time talking about the Ravens, of course, the AFC East. Nobody talks about Indy. They're 7-3. and three. And I, I don't know, man. I mean, they don't have any, like, standout players, like guys who are dominating at any one position, except maybe a couple guys in the O-line. But, uh, just a bunch of really good players, and they're coached well. Like, what's your thought on Indy? I see them as a team that could, first of all, I definitely could see them winning the AFC South over Tennessee. They're, they could be a sleeper team, in my opinion, anyway. Like, where, where do you fall with them? Yeah, so until the last two weeks, I really thought they were a paper tiger because their wins were, you know, the Jets, the Bears, the Lions, the Bengals, and they looked good, but they just, you know, weren't anything special. They had losses to the Jags, losses to the Browns. The last two weeks beating the Titans and the Packers is legit. Like that's okay. Seven to three is seven to three. It counts regardless of how it came. And you look at their remaining schedule. We're going to find out because they don't have it as easy as some of these other teams. They play the Titans again. They play the Texans, which anytime you're playing Deshaun Watson, that's not a pushover. They play at the Raiders, another one with the Texans at the Steelers, and then an easy one to finish with the Jags. So it's going to be interesting how that plays out down here. And, and, you know, Deshaun Watson has a chance to be a huge spoiler down the stretch here because one, the Bills fans, just anybody who's not paying attention, the Dolphins have the Texans first round pick. We want to root for Deshaun Watson and the Texans to go on a run to finish this season. But they have multiple games left, two against the Colts and another one against the Titans that could be hugely decisive in this playoff run. And I I think the Colts are better than the Titans, but I'm also not afraid of them either. If we have to play one of those teams in the playoffs, I think the Bills have a very good chance to win those games. So, you know, I, I think they're good, but I think they're in that next tier of teams after the top three. You know, you were, you said Deshaun Watson, and you're not a hockey guy, but you play one on Twitter. <laughs> Deshaun Watson reminds me of Jack Eichel. Yeah. I say, here's what I mean by that. Like, he's an elite talent. I'm one of the best players in the in the game, without question. But the organization just doesn't surround him with the right people. You know, there's just a lot of bad decisions made in the Houston Texans uh, organization, and he's suffering from it, and I feel like, some extent, I mean, you know, I know he got fired in the playoffs last year, but you look at this team right now and just the prospects, in the, in, at least in the immediate future, and it's like his best years are going to rot away in a team that really doesn't have a chance to win a championship. I kind of feel like it's the same way uh, with the Sabres when it comes to uh, Jack Eichel. But <laughs> no, it's anyway, not I know, yeah, it just popped in my mind as you were saying. All right, a few other games, you know, not really worth talking about. So Carolina shut Detroit out. Um, not good, Matt Patricia, to be getting shut out by Carolina. How does he uh, even get did, on the on the plane on the ride home? Like, how I do don't you know, even, but, how do you even let him get a ride home? Yeah, and by the way, a Teddy Bridgewater less 
Carolina Panthers as well. I'll say this. If the Lions weren't having a 72-hour turnaround to play on Thanksgiving on Thursday against the uh, the Titans or against the Texans, I think they would have fired him. Yeah. And you know what? One other thing, too. I, I shouldn't be disrespecting the Carolina Panthers because I'll tell you what. Before the season started, I thought they were very firmly in the mix for Trevor Lawrence next year. I thought they were going to be one of the worst teams in the NFL. Christian McCaffrey's barely even played this year. And there's four and seven, and they've been and scrappy wins, four point yeah. loss to the Raiders, a three point loss to the Saints, and a two point loss to the Chiefs. They've been scrappy as heck. Yeah, and they got uh, at least skill player wise. I think Teddy Bridgewater's good enough to win. They obviously got the best running back in the game. They got DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson, two really good receivers. So heck, Mike Davis is a heck of a uh, number two running back. He's straight sure up is. good. Sure is. So maybe I shouldn't have just glanced over him. That was kind of disrespectful. Uh, I will glance over Dallas. I mean, they're three and seven. They're probably going to end up that, winning the that whole NFC division. It's such yeah, a disaster. Just, ugh, six and ten is going to get that done. But you know, the Vikings. What a waste of having elite skill players. Mm. You know, like when you play Madden and you got Dalvin Cook and Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson, who's turned out to be a great rookie. Look at that. it's like they got so much talent, but four and six, ugh, not going to get it done. But anyway, I don't care about that game. Uh, last Thursday's game, Seattle beat Arizona. That game really didn't move the needle for me with either team. I still feel the same way about them that I did coming in with both of them. Uh, the, the last game, I, or two games, I wanted to hit on Washington beating Cincy 20, and I don't care about the game itself. That meant nothing. But the big story, Joey Burrow, torn ACL, which, by the way, as we're taping this, I saw a tweet. It's actually worse than that. It's not just his ACL. Unfortunately, it's his MCL, and there's going to be other damage too. So Ugh. that might move that timeline back. So it's even worse than they originally feared. Rex Ryan, I was watching first day or get up on Monday morning and Rex Ryan, who I don't have a ton of respect for, I'll put that out there. But anyway, he ripped the Bengals for having uh, Joey Burrow drop back as often as he has this year behind a completely shit offensive line. Do you buy that? Is that a fair take? Because I, I mean, he's not wrong. This offensive line is terrible. That offense is horrible. And Joey Burrow's been taking a pounding all year. This is the NFL, and, it's, and he's a rookie. You, you can't play to – can you play to not get a guy hurt? Like, do you not throw the ball because the offensive line's not good enough? Like, I feel like if you're that concerned, maybe he shouldn't be in there. But, like, do you buy what Rex Ryan said, ripping the organization for Burrow getting hurt? So, I, I mean, I think you can rip them in the sense of they should have done more to help prepare for that. They should have maybe spent some money – on some short-term band-aids on the offensive line and having more options out there. I think besides that, no, you need to put them out there to play. You know, if you go back and look at the offensive line that the uh, that Josh Allen was playing behind in 2018, you know, there was nothing respectful about the, the line they put in front of him. So it, I think that it's a shame. I think it's easy in hindsight I don't think that you can say, oh, we're nervous about this offensive line, so we're not going to play him and let him develop because we're not confident this line is going to do what's best for him uh, going forward. So that's easy to say in hindsight. I think that's really tough to do from a development standpoint to take that away. And he had been playing well up to this point. So he's you know, fun. I, I love why. Oh, I, I, I think, think he's got a bright future. I like watching the Bengals. Well, hopefully he does. Adam Schefter, and this is what he had tweeted. On the MRI revealed more damage than anticipated. Torn ACL, MCL, and suffered 
other structural issues. And then he mm. also went on to say that these type of knee injuries usually sideline players anywhere from nine to 12 months. So each person heals and rehabs differently. So next season might be in question for him. That sucks, man. He's, he's yeah. a fun player to have and the, the league can never have enough fun players like him. Damn. It's, you know, it's going to be something that we need to be able to kind of figure out as we go here to to identify, you know, what what is that going to be like for long term? But I do think this impacts them into 2021, and I'll be shocked if he's ready to go week one. Yeah. Uh, jump into the other conference with the last game here. So the Saints beat Atlanta. I don't care about that game. I think Taysom Hill stinks as a passer. I don't care what his stats say. Uh, and I, I'm going to stick with that take. But anyway, him aside, because he's not going to be the long-term quarterback. Drew Brees is going to be back at some point. The thing about the Saints, that defense is just ferocious, man. They're good. They they destroyed Tom Brady twice. They killed Atlanta. Matt Ryan took a beating. Got eight sacked eight times. Got picked twice. Do you think the Saints are the best team in the NFC? Like, I, I'm pretty calm. I could tell through our conversation without formally asking you that you think Kansas City still the class of the AFC. For sure. To who's the class of the NFC for you? It's so weird because I have two games of direct evidence that tell me this isn't true. I I still think it's Tampa Bay. (laughs) I think the Bucs have have the best offense and defense, even though they've lost twice to the Saints directly. Um, If you ask me today to pick who I think will win in the playoffs, I I think it's the Bucs and that I, I don't. I don't know. I think the Saints are very good. I think that they're at at worst the second best team in the NFC. I think they're very very good. If you ask me who I think is going to win in the playoffs, I think the Bucks are better. So I, I'm curious to see where it shakes out. Um how does that play out when you have things like what normally is such a raucous amazing home field advantage with New Orleans, you don't have that in the playoffs now with the way this is set up. I'm curious to see where that shakes out, but um you know, I think it's between those two teams. I think you can make an argument for when Green Bay is playing their best football or Seattle's playing their best football. I think you can have an argument there, but I think it comes down to New Orleans or Tampa Bay. Um, I, I don't, you know what? It's a fair point. Sometimes teams, first of all, yes, the Saints have owned them twice, but it's hard to beat a team three times. So if you play them in the playoffs, you got to beat them a third time. Maybe they don't play each other in the playoffs. Maybe the Saints get eliminated by somebody else. Oh, I, I, I can see Aaron Rodgers taking out the Saints and then the Bucks beating Rodgers. I could see that. Yeah, I mean, they, they owned Aaron Rodgers earlier in the year in Tampa. That wasn't even a game. I mean, Aaron Rodgers got schooled that game. That was a bad game. Tampa's got a really good team on paper. I mean, it's undeniable. I mean, they got Tom Brady. They got good running backs. They got elite receivers. They got two good tight ends. And their defense is really good. They're, I don't know. I have the stats in front of me. I know they're one of the best defenses in the NFL, though, both on paper and production. So... Yeah, man, Tampa's right up there for sure. Uh, before I let you go, I want to talk just for a couple minutes anyway about Sunday's game with the Chargers. Again, we're not going to really deep dive into the game. For anybody who wants a good preview of that game, make sure you check out Cover One Buffalo Podcast with Greg and Aaron later on this week. That'll be out. But anyway, so the Chargers are a dangerous team, if nothing else. I don't really buy into their record just being 3-7 and seven just because they have a, a ton of weapons. Again, I think they're dangerous, man. Keaton Allen, Mike Williams, Hunter Henry. I don't think Austin Eckler will be back this week. But anyway, even without him and a rookie quarterback who's just putting up big numbers, like, does this game, I'm not going to ask you if you think the Bills realistically are going to lose this game, but are you a little bit nervous? Like, 
when you look at the Chargers and just say they, because they've blown a lot of leads. They're a lot better than three and seven. I think they are anyway. They've oh, blown 100%. some leads. Uh, like, what's your what's your nervous level right now with this game uh, coming off a of bye? Um, I mean, I think that the Chargers are better than three and seven, but not a lot better. You know, there's still something that comes down to, oh, man, how, how do they find so many different ways to lose? They might regress back. Well, they might also regress to losing by 30 instead of losing by three. Like, it doesn't always work that direction. Um, they're not a great team. They're still, I think Justin Herbert has an exciting future. He still throws four or five passes every game that are mind-numbingly terrible and just bad yeah. decisions. So he's still very much a rookie quarterback with an exciting arm and a bright future. They... I think their stats are very inflated because they have so much garbage time catch up football in there. So when it's, you know, they have like the third most total yards in the league, it, it's not, they're not that efficient or that good of an offense, um, but they're good. Like they're still exciting. I think the game's going to go over. I think that the bills are going to have a shootout to win here, but I think ultimately they're going to make some mistakes that the bills don't and the bills will win reasonably comfortably without it having been that tight as they come down the stretch here. So um, Sean McDermott's undefeated in his career coming out of a bye. So I'll, I'll assume that that continues here uh, hosting the chargers at home. Uh, this will be the last question here. So from a Buffalo bills perspective, not necessarily just for this game Sunday, but for over the last six games, what do you want to see most happen with this team that maybe you haven't seen enough of this season or, and who are, maybe one or two guys that you would like to see improve on what you've seen so far from them this year. So I think that the, by far the biggest part is getting the efficiency back in the run game. I don't want them to run the ball more. I don't want them to turn into some balanced 50, 50 team when they go to run the ball, they need it to be more successful. The reason I think that's likely is we've literally seen zero snaps with Cody Ford, Mitch Morris, and John Feliciano on the field at the same time. Uh, I think they're going to have that coming out of the bye here. I think they're going to have their intended top five linemen playing all together for the first time all year. I think that's going to help, and I think they're going to run the ball better. That's going to allow things to look better and to have the option of a little more balance. And sneaky, I think that's what's wrong in the third quarter, not some weird third quarter mojo thing that people can't quite figure out. Um, as far as playing a little bit better, I'd like to see the continued trend of Tremaine Edmonds, which I think will happen if we get Matt Milano back next to him. And then yeah. I'd like to see that number two corner get solidified with a rotation between Levi Wallace and Josh Norman. I know a lot of fans are excited about Dane Jackson. I think he's going to compete for that spot next year. I don't think they're ready to hand it over to him now with the communication they have in place with Wallace and Norman. So um, that's kind of where my eye is, is Tremaine Edmonds in that cornerback two spot. Yeah, good stuff there, man. All right, everyone, give Greg a follow on Twitter at Greg Thompson. Be sure to check out Cover One Buffalo podcast. He does a great job with my boy, his tag team partner, Aaron Quinn. One of the really, and I mean this, man, I really, truly mean it, man. One of the really good dudes, and there's a lot of them, by the way, in the Buffalo Bills podcasting slash blogging slash social media community. Really, man, man, you're a good dude. I always love having you on the show and I appreciate your time, man. Thanks, man. That that really means so much. It's uh, I think Bill's Mafia is so spoiled with the amount of content creators that they have here. And it's because of that voracious appetite of, you know, Bill's Mafia that we have so much good 
uh, content out there is because we know if we do a good job with it, uh, they'll eat it all up. So excited to be able to see where that goes and uh, love everything that you do. I think you're one of the best interviewers in the business. I think you get people to talk about some really good stuff and love the way that you approach it. So uh, looking forward to listening to all the shows in the future. All right, boys and girls, that is going to do it for another episode. Big ups one more time, my man, Greg Thompson, Cover One Buffalo podcast. Love having Greg on the show. Always a good time talking to him. So thank you very much, Greg. Coming up on the show Friday, I'm scheduled to have UB star running back Jared Patterson on the show. I am very, very much looking forward to talking to him. Jared is just smashing the UB rushing record book. So look for that on Friday. Guys, girls, if you have not yet subscribed to this podcast, please go ahead and do that right now. Ready review, all that fun stuff really, truly helps me continue to grow this podcast. Of course, you can find us on Apple, Google, Spotify, TuneIn, pretty much anywhere future award-winning podcasts are found. Check us out on YouTube as well. Talk about Flow Podcast YouTube channel. Highlight clips, current and past episodes, pretty soon, soon enough, after the holidays for sure, original content that you'll only find there on that channel, so go check that out. Then, of course, last but not least, follow me on Twitter, at Tweets. I'm constantly tweeting out podcast updates, promos, upcoming guests, sports talk, pop culture, TV show stuff, all kinds of stuff, man. I love interacting with people over there on Twitter. And, uh, you know, I'm just going to end it the same way I always do. Thank you very much for listening. It really means a lot to me when you're locked into this show because I know how many great podcasts there are out there right now. So, you know, the competition is fierce. And if you're giving me 30, 45, 60, whatever minutes of your time, it does not go unnoticed. I promise you that. I'm very grateful, very humble. So thank you very much. Please have a safe week. Wear a mask. Do the right thing. Have a safe, happy Thanksgiving. And again, we'll be back. Brand new show, Jared Patterson on Friday.